Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Watch your podcasties and podcastettes and, um, yeah, all you lot listening. Thank you so much for uh, continuing to support the Rob De Banks A to Z of Festivals podcast. A uh, special one this week. Um, very special. Uh, I'm halfway through this bonkers uh, charity ride, so I'm sat in a hotel room near Preston. And, um, yeah, it's kind of just off the edge of a motorway. And I've just uh, cycled a long way, so I'm feeling a little bit uh, shaky. So I'm not getting emotional about the fact that I'm introducing my wife this week. Um, Yes, it is, of course, Josie DeBank's turn to step up to the mic. Not something she tends to like doing, um, as she would admit herself. So, yeah, really honoured to get some airtime with Lady DeBank, uh, Josie, and um, Spilling the Beans hopefully on some of her wisdom of uh, 15 years of running festivals and having to put up with me, basically. So, um, yeah, this week's special guest, Josie DeBank. So, today on the AZ of Festivals podcast with Rob DeBank, I'm interviewing someone I should know a little bit about. We've, well, I think we've been together for about 26 years, married for 17, and got four kids, a few festivals, a pygmy goat or two, some cats, and yes, it is, of course, Josie DeBank. How are you doing, Josie? Hi. It's 28 years, actually, Robbie. Ah, there you go. I'd committed my first... First marital blunder already, only a few seconds in. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously when I started this podcast, it's about festivals, it's about life at festivals um, and the the joy they all bring to us. So an obvious starting point would be with the wife who I've created, we've created all our festival moments with, but we've thought we'd keep it till till number nine just to um, get everyone warmed up for this great moment. There may be an argument or two along the way, so stand by, Look, people. Let's, let's just remember, Robbie, that I had to remind you that you should do a podcast with your wife, Josie, because you've been running festivals with her for... 
15 years. It was, it it was always the plan. Josie, it was always the to plan. include me in your festival history. Look, I didn't really want Emily Evis to do the first one. It was always going to be a Josie DeBank one and then Emily sort of popped up. Anyway, yeah, just, you know, relax. Just pretend you're being interviewed by someone you like and uh, <laughs> <laughs> someone you know and, uh, yeah, or feel comfortable with and, um, yeah, let's just relax into it. I mean, we've we've just turned off the phone. We've put the baby in bed. Um, there'll probably be a few rings at the doorbell along the way, but let's um, let's dive into the age set of festivals. So um, I kind of want to stay a bit neutral on this and hear your side of the story because I think a lot of people have heard mine and we're all bored of hearing my voice and looking at my picture. So, you know, Josie is obviously the... The you know. creative force that drives Rob DeBank and has made him who he is over the last <laughs> 25 years... There we go. Said the, in a nutshell. The powerhouse that uh, has <laughs> all right, all right. him through and through. You're supposed to be humble and, and kind kept of quiet. <laughs> so tell us no, what, what, what what's your what was your first festival memory, Josie? So my first festival memory was um, I well well I was 18. I just met you at Goldsmiths College. And you thought it was a really good idea for us to go to Glastonbury on one of our first dates. Um, in your 2CV, was that right? Yeah, so anyone under the age of about 30 won't know what a 2CV is, but if you've seen the Pink Panther film, the really, really... Old, clapped out, shoddy, Yeah, it was a grey, rusty 2CV that we bought for £50 off my mum's friend. And yeah, we drove it, drove it down to Somerset on our one of our first dates. Yeah, with a couple of friends. One was called Lou, I think. Do you remember? And anyway, you didn't have any tickets for us to get in, did you? So we scaled the fence. So sorry, Michael. Sorry, Emily. Emily. It's really bad. But um, anyway, we we got over the fence on Thursday. Oh, that was it. Jason was with us, I think, and Gid. And we got in and we just had an absolutely amazing, life-changing weekend. I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, I mean, I think we both remember, you know, Commando crawling across the wet grass as the dawn dawn was breaking. We'd park the car in a sort of lay-by down the road, which you wouldn't be able to do these days, and uh, crawled, and a, crawled across attack. a field. We're massive attacking their, their sound check. Ma- yeah, we, we somehow either got I under know, Ralph, or over Ralph, the Ralph fence. Ralph Harris was on. Okay. As we got in, I Wrong. think. Okay, probably shouldn't mention that. No. Um, but yeah, massive attack we're, de- <laughs> we're definitely on. And uh, I think we got some crusties. I don't know if it was that year, but it was one year we, we paid some crusties with either beer or Rizzlers or something to let us through their tunnel. People used to dig tunnels, didn't they? Or, or, or you'd get a grappling hook and I'd push you over and you'd, you'd landed yeah. in Glastonbury. So what, what was that sort of first few moments of being in Glastonbury like? I think what struck me the most was the smell and the haze and the light and the fact that this enormous, amazing, creative town, temporary town, had arrived in the middle of of Somerset for a very short period of time. And it was, yeah, the atmosphere was really overpowering. And was that straight away? Were you thinking, "Oh God, we could do something like this"? Or I'm, I'm, I know we were oh my God, early no. into our relationship. No, 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 but... no, we were only eighteen, weren't we? We didn't know what we wanted to do then. No, it didn't even cross my mind. I think it. I felt like I wanted to be 
working outside and be creative outside perhaps but no I was just so um amazed by the atmosphere that I wasn't really thinking anything and I mean yeah I mean it was 12 years later that we actually put on our first festival so there was a lot of um a lot of Glastonbury's in between then then and and when we when we first started festival I mean Glastonbury when we started you know um, going was was pretty anarchic, wasn't it? It was it was quite um, quite sort of rebellious and anything goes. Yeah, I think there were a lot of travellers there because this is twenty twenty eight years, is it? So there were lots and lots of travellers and Lost Vegas. Vagueness. Vagueness was a big big part of it that felt very rebellious at the time and very underground and like nothing you'd ever seen before. So it was like Joe Rush and the Mutoid Waste Crew were building those giant sculptures out of rusty cars, and Shangri-La was still eighteen years away in the in the distance. So it's, and um, the, there was the ballroom, which was amazing, and the the diner with Debs and her husband. It was all. Someone amazing. did remind me the other day that we took them on a very very hot Glastonbury into this tent. Everyone had to get into a ball gown or a, or a dinner jacket and sat down for a three course dinner at like lunchtime. It was, uh, 30th birthday I think okay yeah there we go just as we were starting best of all. uh yeah maybe. so what's kind of changed um in the festival landscape since then big question but you know that was obviously our the start of our festival journey um and we'll get on to festival and camp festival in a minute but what what's kind of you know, we're going to Glastonbury this year. We always go. It's our birthday weekends. Me and Josie were born a day apart in the same year. So we always, it's always somewhere around our, our birthdays, midsummer day. Um, do you still get that same excitement about going to Glastonbury? I definitely get the same excitement going to Glastonbury. It's incredible, absolutely amazing. But I don't have, sadly, the desire to go to other festivals anymore controversial (laughs) (laughs) i i like going to festivals with my my children but i think um i yeah i mean i've been doing festivals for a long 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 time and also i'm quite scared of the the drug culture at festivals now and i can't quite get my head around um the way drugs are taken anymore sadly that's a big thing for me I mean, it's a it's a very very relevant topic. Yeah. Um, I mean, skipping quickly on from that because we tend to t- keep this quite light hearted. Let's <laughs> let's go back through some of the other other festivals that we we went to because obviously the Big Chill was a was a great festival for us. We we had loads of brilliant great um, Big Chills, um, Reading and Leeds, um, uh, Latitude. The early years of that. Yeah, that was amazing. Really really good show. Um, where else have we been? We've been head down doing our own shows for 16 years. Yeah, I mean, we used to go to Tribal Gathering and Phoenix and... and Homelands, that was a big, big thing, and Creamfields. The day shows were really good a long time ago. Yeah, Homelands, which is the now Boomtown site in Natalie Bowl in, in Winchester. So, yeah, we kind of earned our, earned our festival spurs, but, I, yeah, I, I suppose now we're entering our, our middle, middle-aged and... Um, you know that yeah maybe the allure of going to so many festivals is is um is is not so big although this year with less festivals of our own on I I definitely intend on trying to go to some of the new ones yeah and there's some festivals that I've not been to that have been around for a long time that I'd really like to go to I'd love to go to Wilderness I'd love to go to Port Elliot 
Um, I'd love to go to Lost Village and see what they're up to and Park Life as well. Really like to go and I think their lineup's amazing. And, you know, I like a weekend show where I can stay in a hotel. Okay, so um, let's let's sort of fast forward from that um, crusty adventure at Glastonbury in the in the early nineties, and um, let's fast forward to we'd we'd set we'd set up Sunday Best, the club, and and the record label, and we were we, you you were one of the you were the youngest licensed bar owner in in London, I think, with your bar Kokomo, which was an amazing bar on Old Street where we used to have crazy parties and so we were really sort of it deep into you know it was rave culture there was um you know um sort of early you know club culture was was booming and then fast forward to 2004 when we set up the first festival and just think about that sort of early meetings when we were looking for sites and stuff and what that was like yeah so we really had no idea what we were doing it just felt like a natural progression, didn't it, to go from doing lots and lots of parties to doing something bigger in a field. So I think you and John found the first site. I didn't actually have anything to do with that. And in your usual style, you just cracked on with this idea that you had in your head and just expected me to pick up the pieces. <laughs> um, so, but it was equally very, very exciting. Um, yeah, the meetings are exciting. We so, I mean, we all had our own little little department, didn't we? And, I mean, yours was obviously largely creative, but also, um, you know, the, the um, you know you were running this bar in, in East London. So when we opened the gates, then we were doing everything from ripping tickets to making cocktails, and you and your best friend T were behind the bar. Yeah, we ran the bars. Well, we ran the big cocktail bar, the Bollywood bar, um and we I felt like I very quickly had to learn how to run an event literally every day for six months I learned something new and um it was really rather challenging I also I think the trickiest thing was to to have to pretend to a lot of people that you'd sold all these tickets and it was going to be amazing like we really had to to lie didn't we to convince people to come because you know, everyone thought there was 12,000 people coming and I think there was only 6,000 people. And I thought it was four, a, but... Uh... Yeah, I can't quite remember. But um, but nevertheless, we, uh, we created this amazing event that went really, really well and um, we were absolutely exhausted by the end of it. But we, we pulled it off. And I mean, I, I remember some little sort of flashbacks of, of you and T um, in a golf buggy with these big, big bags of coins that you had to take to the bank we didn't have golf buggies that year we had to walk the pound coins up that massive hill at robin hill and then we were all sharing a teepee do you remember yeah we're covered in spiders and norman and zoe were next door to us (laughs) raving (laughs) and we were trying to sleep because we had to get up the next day to uh so Norman and Zoe, obviously Fatboy Slim, was one of the first um, headliners. And we, we were really lucky that first year because, well, it was kind of luck and partially hard work, but we, we sort of pulled it out of the bag with our headliners for a first-year show. And there weren't that many festivals around like us, in fact, very, very few. And we managed to have some really great headliners and we pulled in the favours from people we knew, like Basement Jacks and The Bees and, um, and Fatboy well. Slim. Headlined on the Sunday night. I didn't it was... 
was it Fatboy Slim or was it Zoe Kirk? I remember Zoe DJing in the Bollywood bar that year. Do you remember in the corner? It was fun. no no memory whatsoever, but it was a, it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then um, we that year we went to India and we bought loads of stuff to decorate the show, and I think that was really key, wasn't it? That it looked lovely and colourful and yeah we shipped all this stuff over and it was so it was just such a diy culture wasn't it it was literally us and our friends our our amazing friends who helped us out and still help us out and you know turning up in a field with a few vans worth of stuff and then hand painting all the signs and really creating that whole start of boutique festivals yeah i had my brother running the bar i think my mum and dad were doing something yeah it was it was lovely and I mean, difficult to pick out moments of our of our uh, amazing festival best of all. But you know, through the fifteen years that it's run so far, what any any sort of headliner um, headliner or, or or act kind of highlights? Yeah, I think Elton John was my all time favorite act. I think. Um, so, like, can you, like, for people who are listening that weren't there, what, what was it like having Elton there? Oh, it was huge. And you also felt like he really wanted to be there. He was really excited to play at a festival. He, yeah, he just oozed fun and charisma and he'd had a jacket made especially for the show and he dedicated a song to you and it just, he had a brilliant time. And then also you got that lovely letter from him afterwards and it felt really sincere, didn't it? Yeah, no, one of the only thank you letters that has ever been written and a, and a properly yeah. pen on paper thank you letter. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember in the afternoon, I think it was a sunny, I think it was a sunny day, and I just remember this really sleek black helicopter starting to fly around the site, kind of orbiting, and everyone just stopped what they were doing. Its time seemed standstill, and everyone knew that it was Elton, and he was he was coming in on his chopper. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And also, the great thing about Elton was he confirmed. The year before, on the Sunday night, didn't he? Just we just finished watching The Cure, and we went back to our um, caravan that we were staying in. And you opened your laptop, and Doris had sent you a really nice email. Big up, Doris! Yeah, we, that was great. That was the the best because we knew we had next year in the bag. Yeah, which is one of the uh, yeah. I mean, you know, touching on this because I know you're married to to me obviously but with my sort of um booking booking um agent hat on then what's it like being with or married to someone whose job it is to curate one two three four festivals it's really really hard work so um i mean just you know just tell it as it is no no no. (laughs) but the the two months running up to announcing the show just we're getting more and more stressful because talent's been harder and harder to buy. The price of talent's been pushed up. Um, there's just so many reasons why it was getting harder and harder um, and really was quite unpleasant and quite stressful because we kept losing acts and you would take it very personally and have to go back to the drawing board and come up with new ideas and we couldn't afford the acts that we wanted because they were being bought out across multiple shows and yeah, I'm really glad that we're not doing that this year. There's the doorbell. So is that a good or a bad thing? <laughs> What's that? Being married to the man who books the headliners. 
Um, well, it's amazing if it goes right, and it's not so great if it's um, if it goes wrong. But it's been really interesting, and um, I think the kids have found it exciting as well. And you know, coming up with ideas, especially on Camp Festival, it's really it's really good. You know, you've managed to um, get Lewis Capaldi this year. Is that his name? Yeah, Lewis Capaldi, yeah. Lewis Calamari, as he calls himself. <laughs> I'm just going to see who's at the door. Hold on. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. Right, where were we? Uh, yeah, Lewis Capaldi. So, um, so yeah, headliner anxieties apart. Um, what's been the kind of best thing about doing running festivals? What's your what's your kind of favourite bit? Because you sort of turned from kind of initially doing the hand painted signs and the creative and the whole sort of helping. Well, me and you sort of coming up with the vision of it, and then you know you ended up kind of running it, business and everything. So. What's been the kind of best bit of that? I think the best bit and the reason I kept doing it is because I could create moments for people, special moments, and create memories for people. Um, you know, like fireworks, video mapping, the camp festival 
castle and the mirror ball and creating the Indian temple and shipping it to Toronto and just coming up with ideas, quite crazy ideas and delivering them on the ground and giving people something to talk about and creating a special place for people to meet new people and go on to have kids together and get married. And it's, yeah, I think creating moments is why I've done it. And, you know, I've created moments for my mum and dad, I've created moments for the, or we have rather, for, you know, our kids, you know, our friends, children at Camp Festival. And, um, yeah, nothing can buy doing that for, for other people. And you, you kind of touched on it, um, referencing, you know, dr- dr- the drug drugs and stuff at festivals, which is obviously every promoter's, you know, very primary concern you know the safety of people but what what's been the not necessarily the worst but in a dark way and we don't need to go down you know any particular route but you know what's the what's the worst bit about running a festival um so the day-to-day worst bit is the money worry above and beyond you know you're literally living in a casino all year round you know you're watching every day ticket wraps come in and you're translating them into the budget. And it just takes the fun out of it, the event and life. It's really, really, really hard work. Of course, if you're selling out in 24 hours, like Reading and Leeds, it's amazing. But sadly, there's so many festivals now, that's a luxury that's not there anymore. And um, it just got so, so, so stressful. And, it's, you know, and it's, it still is. Um, so I'd say that's that's the worst bit, aside from the obvious. So, I mean, you know, we, we've had 15 amazing years of best of all, and we'll see what, what, what happens with that in the future. Um, sort of halfway through that adventure, well, actually two or three years in, then, then tell us what happened where you seem to get pregnant. <laughs> yeah, so we... I think the third festival. I was at, I was pregnant at the third festival. Did you actually get pregnant at festival? No, I <laughs> didn't. I did get pregnant at one of the shows, but um, oh. and we had Arlo, and I at that point started to say to you, "Let's turn festival into a family show." You know, this is amazing. We've had a little baby, and let's do something great for him. And then I soon realised that actually that was a stupid idea and Bestival was just starting to go really well and, and it had formed an identity. So we came up with the concept and I made <laughs> an appointment with Paul Pinnock, who was the estate manager of um, Lulworth Castle, because I remember going to the big chill there and thinking it was, it, it was great. And you and I got in the car and went to meet Paul and the pieces, the ducks or whatever you say, just fell in place very, very quickly. We sketched the first site map there and then, and we still continue to use the same layout, don't we? Nothing's really changed. And it just felt really natural and the right thing to do. And actually, we put the first Camp Festival on and it broke even, which is kind of unheard of. The concept felt like it was really meant to be. Yeah, I mean, it quickly fell into a, a sort of formula that we haven't really strayed from. Whereas with 
festival or you see it with a lot of other festivals, people chop and change this and that. Um, I think Glastonbury doesn't and, you know, well, there's a lot of festivals that don't, but I think with, with Camp Festival, it's like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, yeah, we've had our ups and downs, but I think it's um, it's largely how, how our, our vision was, which is, you know, a beautiful, safe family festival to educate and, you know, to escape from reality and, and have some amazing bands along the way. Yeah, and I think to create moments for parents and children together is is what it's all about. And um, I think the reason it's worked is because the emphasis is not on the talent and we haven't had the same stresses that we've had. Might not be for you. No, but it's, uh, it's, it's a different... It's a different kind of lineup, isn't it? So, to, so someone who hasn't been to camp, and this is by no means an advert for Camp Festival, but just because I suppose it's our, it's the jewel in our crown, and it's probably a favourite thing that we do out of everything that we we do, um, you know, in our in our lives. What 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 is the magic of camp? The magic of camp for me is to see the children, the parents, the grandparents, all having a really great time and doing stuff that they wouldn't normally do together day to day, like making a big cardboard castle or all dancing, wearing dads wearing silly hats, kids being pushed around in trolleys, kids playing wild in campsites and meeting new friends and doing bushcraft with Spinny Hollow and trying new food in the Feast Collective and watching science shows and it's endless and it's all simple and it's all free and it's it's just earthy it's positive free once you get in free once you get in <laughs> yeah it's not not yeah no okay and i mean in amongst um all the hullabaloo of sort of running the festival and booking everything and coming up with it because i think we've gone over this point before in other podcasts where it's kind of you think it's all set in stone and then every year, every single thing needs doing again. You, you get people coming up to you and saying, so you do Camp Festival, what do you do the rest of the year? And it's like, no, you don't understand. You could actually just spend the entire year doing nothing else, couldn't you? Yeah, definitely. It takes a whole year to um, to produce a festival. And it, it, it always sort of, you know, even if you don't change the layout, then, then things change. But aside from all that, I think we've both and our whole team have got a real passion for... You know, the environment for trying to, you know, cut down on the waste at festivals, you know, single-use plastics, tent tent wastage, um, which isn't such a big problem at camp, but tell us a bit about how you, how you feel about that. Well, at camp, it's amazing because your parents are forever trying to educate their children and it just comes really natural to everyone to pick up their rubbish and put it in the bin and to take their tents home and all their other belongings and you you know at the end of camp festival the campsites are are clean you hardly need the litter pickers to come in at the end of festival and other shows of that nature the campsites look like refugee camps they're absolutely hideous and really really quite depressing so what what what's the answer i know we were all searching for it and a lot of festivals are, are making some progress on it but what 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 is the answer well, there's loads of answers, isn't there? Like people to take care of their belongings, to respect the environment, for shops not to sell, just tents for a tenner that make you feel you can leave them behind. I mean, yeah, it's endless, endless. Okay, cool. Well, um, let's uh, let's wrap this up at this what, point because we're we ending up on rubbish.
rubbish. We've only, we've only had no, not on rubbish. No, I was going to ask you what what the future of um of festivals looks like, and not necessarily our own, but you know, obviously when we started, there were ten festivals probably in the UK, and now there are you know seven eight hundred. What what where do you see the whole festival um, market going? Um, I haven't really thought about it. I've thought about where I see my vision going and my dream festival, um, which is all about kids and families and, you know, exploring that um, journey more and being more creative. And I'd quite like to move away from a traditional festival where you have a main stage and all the focus and the budget is on that and and create more diverse environments, you know, sort of perhaps, you know, like a Burning Man for kids that's all about workshops and and play. There you go. On that note, we will uh, leave it before we get into an <laughs> argument about who... Robbie losing the main stage. <laughs> Robbie wants more acts, Josie wants more creative, let's have a punch-up. But, yeah, thank you so much, Josie. Um, we do talk about we um, festivals all, all all the time. We live our lives around festivals, and our kids hear nothing else but stuff about festivals. So it's lovely to catch up with you about festivals. <laughs> so we needed to really get that off our chest. But yeah. ladies and gents, okay. Josie DeBank. Bye. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.